podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson in the chair, uh, but in front of me I've got Andy Heaton, John Gibbons and Paul Senior on your Friday night as you're driving home or doing whatever it is you are doing. Don't feel obliged to drive. Uh, you might be in the kitchen, you might be making a lovely tea, you might be getting ready to go out and the Anfield Wrap's the perfect soundtrack for that. Uh, but we're also going to be joined very soon by Elkin Abramson, uh, Sarah Nolan, Pete Weatherby and Steve Kelly on the proposed Hillsborough Law. Uh, that's coming very soon as well. It's a fantastic conversation had earlier today. But before then we will start with Maribor. Uh, John Maribor, a win that you. I, I was never particularly irate. I always thought that the victory was going to be on the cards for the Red Red Sport, not just one of them, uh, all eleven. Um, <laughs> but there is, it's strange for me, and I can't quite work out whether or not for this Liverpool side, it was that they had to be patient, whether or not the patience was a virtue or it just became a necessity of the football match. Yeah, it's it's a good question. It's uh, I've been. Fa- I've been thinking all like all season. I think I said a few weeks ago on a show that I feel like this team is actually getting better at playing at eighty percent, if you like, than they were last season. And it seems strange to talk about improvements from last season because the results haven't been as good, certainly on on this time twelve months ago. But you felt watching them last season, they were either gunk how when they were hundred percent and they were you know heavy metal football and they were brilliant, or 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 there was there was a great a really big drop off when they weren't quite at it. And we haven't seen enough of the heavy metal football this season, and we haven't seen enough of the high press and the energy and the and the, and the attacking play that we loved. But um, but the, but they have they have got a little bit better at, at breaking teams down. They have got a bit better at, at knocking on the door enough time that it eventually opens. And and you've seen that over the last. Well, weak not just in this game, but also in the Huddersfield game as well, and and that's good for the team, I think, because I think next time, you know, if they get a nil nil against West Ham at the weekend at half time, you know, it's not it's not panic stations anymore, which you felt like it was sometimes last last season. You know, the, the crowd are, are less edgy as well. When once you've seen these things kind of happen in front of your eyes more, you you kind of understand it. And I don't think there'd be there would have been any neutrals watching that game thinking. Oh, Liverpool might might finish nil nil here. They'd they'd have been watching it, thinking, well, eventually the pressure's going to tell, and it did. And so we st- we need to start thinking like that as well, watching the game in front of us rather than rather than the panic stations that we that we quite often get into. Yeah, I think John spot on. I was just thinking that because the the, the crowd, the conditions are either seeing blitzkrieg or or you know limp most of the time. Failure. It's weird. It's weird watching Liverpool at this, and I never thought. I think that's one of the best points I've heard for a long, long time. This 70-80% football and I may, it makes sense now but the, the crowd can't handle it John Spot on the I, I wrote an article post-match about it saying it was it was so drab I think it's just factored in that everyone thought it would be another 5-6-7-0 and six and seven nil. and I was, I was screaming at anyone who listened that isn't look that just isn't going to happen um, it, it, it doesn't happen it's an anomaly the amount of how many times when we won 7-0 we basically took every every break that we could have got went our way we've played better do, than do when you we beat sorry we, to, we to, played, we've played better than when we beat them 7-0 countless occasions and only ended up 3-4 I, I was hearing um, I can't remember exactly who it was talk about when Liverpool beat Fulham 10-0 and the game after it was 3-2 and Liverpool sort of scraped the replay and where people were saying Oh, you know, you're gonna do it another count, another counter. It'll you know, be another five, six, seven, nil. I thought, well, you may, you maybe need to give more credit for the per- first performance than expected. The, in the there's second. always that risk of complacency. The, the most famous example I can remember is when we done Palace nine nil, and then they knocked us out the FA Cup that year, mm. the very same year. But, but there's also the idea, Andy, that what happens is that Maribor. I mean, let's be honest, they're in, they're in the Champions League because they're used to winning. They're used to winning games of football. So they've gone through the first one. They've been beaten seven nil in their own patch. They were always going to come to Anfield and have. 
drilled themselves into the ground to not be humiliated well, again. Because the professional footballers and, the, and they're all right ones. They're not. They're not a pub team. They're an all right side. The outlier of their results is the Liverpool one. It's not like they've they've lost five nil and six and seven. Whereas a couple of years ago, Barcelona in the Champions League, they were winning five and six, and then La Liga fives and six and sevens, and that was the norm. The seven nil is a massive anomaly. I mean, it's the biggest result in the cha- in Champions League history, away from home. That should tell you everything you need to know. The Look, we should have beat Spartak, but the fact that they drew with Spartak at home shows yeah. that they're, they're no great shakes. Mm. They're there on merit. And I thought some of the build was a bit disrespectful. My fear going into the game, not that I never thought we weren't going to win, is that complacency and laissez-faire attitude got in amongst the players. Because as much as they say, oh, we're going to be professional, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. How many times over the season have we heard that? Yeah. And then we've come away with ourselves between our legs. It's, I mean, I think it's... It, Again, even for the players, and I thought that Liverpool, I think Liverpool were patient more than, you know, the manager came out again and said we upped the second half. And I do wonder if he's being a little, if he's being just ever so slightly clever, clever and canny here, Paul, that it may well be that he wants Liverpool to just be gently increasing the pressure rather than the idea of at times last season we'd start relatively slowly and we'd talk about it but then 15 minutes would come and it'd be, it'd be an absolute Liverpool bombardment I just wondered if he was maybe looking at a couple of tactical things a little bit different first half if he was had the idea of just build the pressure boys keep moving them round you'll tire them out a lot of the old virtues of, of, of Liverpool sides that we've grown up watching and Liverpool sides that w- w- were playing before well whilst we were really growing up whilst we were really young you know what I mean I, it to me I, it's Arguably too early to tell, but the patterns in games do suggest that we are being a little bit more considered. Yeah, I, I do wonder whether there was a, a sort of first half, second half plan in that game. I, there was something he said. I, I didn't go to the game in the week. I, I was I was ill on the day of the game, so I didn't make it. But I watched it at home, and it was sort of you get to see the pre-match interviews, which you never normally see. And he was talking about maybe concentration, and he sort of said it in in the context of Liverpool keeping concentration. But actually, what I, what I felt he meant was the fact that they may drop theirs if you just keep working it and keep working it and keep working it and um and, and I think that was that was the case. I think Liverpool very much played that that first half in second gear but made Maribor do a lot of running, although in short bursts, you know, they were very much ten two banks of five basically. Uh, and and Liverpool just had to keep working it. I, I think in, in some sort of way, I think the Jordan Henderson substitution helps as well. Um when Alden's a good footballer, but I felt even after 10, 15 minutes, I thought, oh, maybe that someone in that number six position who's maybe a more natural passer of the ball than, than then Ray Chan is would, would help speed things up. And I think that. I that, the move helped Emre as well. Yeah, yeah, it did, yeah. So Emre Chan could get in the game a little bit more. It was very, it felt very unnatural for him playing there. I also thought Clavan was maybe one of your. You you perfect sort of centre half because what Ragnar Klavan's got a lot of a lot of faults, but what he is actually quite good at is keeping hold of the ball, passing the ball a little bit. So that I think he maybe in a weird circumstance helped as well. So you know we we did get the results. Seeing it on the telly, you could sort of see a bit more of the tactical setup from where I normally see in the cop as well. And I mean they were very 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 much two two banks, which. You know, it's difficult to play against, but we had a sort of dress rehearsal for that as well the, the weekend before with Huddersfield. And, you know, these are games where people would have said, oh, Liverpool don't like them. We've, we've passed with flying colours twice. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's that's a skill in itself. And, and one that, I mean, it, it's only a small sample size of Huddersfield and Maribor, but I think that's something we've lacked for, for quite a while, to be honest. The, to, the ability to play within your capacity, but have that confidence to go, actually, you know what? 
it, it's probably going to be all right. Let's not panic and make rash and stupid decisions because invariably, when results didn't go our way last year, and sometimes even this season, it's not because of a uh, we've particularly been outplayed or teams of best best of does. We've made up. We've created our own problems on occasion because of that that panic. Individual performances, John. Um, Oxlade Chamberlain, the one you want to talk about the most, in that we've not had a great number of chances to talk about him across ninety minutes. Looked to me like he was getting settled in terms of the fact that he plays a few passes where he, he doesn't have a lot of time to look up, but he's got confidence where his teammates are. You know, you get the impression he's one who might well have enjoyed the fact that he got a full week of training, for instance, uh, which was the first time of uninterrupted training last week. That he, he's getting to become a Liverpool player, but a Liverpool player in a Jurgen Klopp side. Yeah, it was his best performance. You, you feel he's he's still getting there in terms of his confidence. I'd like to see him, you know, look to get look to get into the game more. Um, I felt like there was there was times where it was passing him by a little bit, but that might be his teammates as well. You know, getting to know him and and, and kind of trusting him a little bit more. But but what I mean, you can see is a lovely football. You can see in terms of you know his, his skill on the ball, his touches. Is passing. He's 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 very naturally gifted, and you can you can see that, and you can see why so many people rate him and have and have kept faith in him. And you, you just you just hope he can kick on further because he does he does he does need to. You know this isn't this isn't the kind of finished product, and this isn't oh, oh now he's made it. You know it was it was it was hopefully the start of 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 more to come really, and that and that more to come is is I think just taking the game by the scuff of the neck a little bit more, like you see from our other attacking players really demanding the football, looking to get involved at all times rather than kind of maybe just 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 decorating it. But yeah, it was it was certainly improvements and certainly positive. Um, Andy Trent Alexander Arnold. It's another good game. It's it's a funny one, really, because whenever I see him, I, I, I almost want to see him play again quite quick. But then there's the reality of of the fixtures that you've got, and there's also the the, the idea that well, listen, he's probably just being quite well developed now, and that he's probably ends this season with twenty twenty five starts if on his current trajectory. So you know, it's easy for me as a supporter to think oh, I'd love to see him get another game here from right back, but at times you've just got to sort of let let everyone let the developments happen around you. Yeah, I, I I think he's one, and this isn't damning with faint praise, by the way, because I think he's an exceptional footballer, and I think he's a Rolls Royce of a a fullback, and will become one. Whatever he ends up, he's an elegant footballer. In so much as what I'm now going to say is is that I think we need to show him loads of patience, and you know, appreciate that he isn't he isn't absolutely there. He had, he has a good game, uh, but he's absolutely worth persevering with. He has his delivery. And his passing is just—you can't coach that. That's why I want to watch him play again. You yeah, know, it's you such can't a coach that. Way in which he yeah, the ball. and it, it looks effortless when it isn't. And you look at the accuracy, and the, the the pace as well. Of it, invariably it crosses either fizzed in or it's floated in. It's a, it's a skill to get that much pace, but with so much accuracy. And it's that's the th- that isn't the first time he's done that this season. That's the second time in Europe he's, he's put a ball in like that. That's well, that's re- resulted in a goal. Um, yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, I, I, look, I, I know Gomez has started the season particularly well and done better than what we would have expected. But I, I made up the sea strength in that lineup. Really, am. He's a choice to watch. I think Paul in a really in quite in, in quite an understated way. I'm just sort mm. of I'm just uh, when we're on top and when the ball's being fed out to him, I'm just like, come on, yeah, let's let, let's have more of this. He's very self assured, doesn't he? I think he knows he knows he's good, and that that that's a nice a nice quality to having a footballer that. You see, even in the uh, what game is it where he scores the free kick? Uh, half an half an game. 
you know, this is a lad 18 years of age stepping up for Liverpool in the Champions League and taking free kicks off of people. He's good, he knows it, he's, he's very talented, he's only going to get better. And I'm, I'm quite enjoying this sort of right-back model we've somehow stumbled a, across as well. You know, there's there's games where you go, well, that's a Joe Gomez game, and you there's games where you go, well, that seems like a Trent Alexander-Arnold game, and, you know, Joe Gomez was very good at the weekend. But um, in England's this, Joe Gomez England's now, is Joe he? Gomez, yeah. congratulations to him. So, yeah, I think, I think it's well-deserved as well, you know, when you've got, if you could say, has there been... A, a better English right back to su- support Kyle Walker there this season. I, I don't really know if there is. So Joe Gomez deserves it. But well, I think the only other one his captaincy of the under twenty yeah. ones was short lived, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've you've genuinely got an interesting situation when Klein gets back in now. Another setback though, hasn't there? Yeah. So yeah. you know, it looks like we've got we've got these lads until at least January. January yeah, yeah, yeah. So how good do you think Trent's free kicks are in training? Because he, he shoved everyone off one. Out. The, the I, I he think hit it, that well as well. Yeah. He hits it nicely. Yeah. I think Gosh. if you're, you know, if you're training with the lads every day, and you know this from just playing Sunday league and that, you know, yeah, he's good. He's good. You know, straight away, you know, by the way he hits the ball, the way the, the way they sort of, it's hard, it's quite hard to articulate actually. But you know, you, you, when you play football, you go. He's on free kicks because because why? Because look at what he's doing every day in training. You know, Phil Coutinho's on the pitch. It may, it may be a different situation, but it's nice to have some someone as an alt, alternate option. Uh, all right, uh, this is the Anfield app on Radio City Talk. Uh, just after the break, I'm going to be speaking about the Hillsborough Law. Uh, recorded a conversation earlier today, and you can also hear that on the AnfieldRap.com. Uh, that is out there as a free show for you to listen to. Uh, but that's Manabor dealt with, and after seven o'clock, we'll be having a lovely big chat about Emre Chan and his contract, and uh, Liverpool going to West Ham United. Don't go anywhere. This is the Anfield Rap on Radio City Talk. I'm Neil Atkinson and earlier today I had a conversation about the Hillsborough Law. We did a special podcast at theanfieldrap.com, which you can hear and download now. Uh, but here is the first nine minutes or so of that conversation. Hello and welcome to this Anfield Rap special podcast. My name is Neil Atkinson and this is going to be about the Hillsborough Law. Uh, with me I have Steve Kelly, uh, Sarah Nolan, Pete Weatherby and Elkin Abramson. Uh, but before we start and before we start talking to these people, I just want to make two things really clear. Firstly, that we all need to remember uh, that there are still things that can't be discussed by us uh, in this environment right now or by anyone uh, due to ongoing criminal proceedings. No one wants those proceedings to be undermined in any way. So please be careful with anything said that you say anywhere, anywhere you write anything down uh, on social media, etc., etc. in the context of this show and in general, uh, to be honest with you, you know, just an ongoing warning around that sort of thing. The other thing is, this is in the light of the Bishop's Report, uh, which has come out this week and which has got some... Some, it, it's in places pretty heart-rendering stuff. And what I'd say is, if you're listening to this, don't feel like you have to listen to it right now. Um, try and listen to this when you're in the right frame of mind. I just think that, you know, we, we we force ourselves sometimes to go through things and we really don't need to. So I think if you're in the right frame of mind, then obviously proceed. Uh, but if not, as I say, it's perfectly fine to revisit this at a later date. So I'm going to start with the obvious, but for those of you who are listening, you may not be aware as to what the proposed Hillsborough law is. I'll go... Excuse me, I'll go to Pete first on this. Pete, just to explain to people what the proposed Hillsborough law is and why it's so important. Uh, The proposed Hillsborough law is a a new uh, statute which requires public authorities and private bodies that are acting in the same way as a public body or are publicly facing so people who own shopping malls or social housing and will come on to Grenfell um, in in due course but um, it requires candour 
from them. So it codifies um, the law um, and requires them to tell the truth, um, particularly in the aftermath of a disaster or where something goes seriously wrong. Now, the need for a law to, for people to tell the truth, people will be somewhat surprised at. Um, but the reality is that you, we need a law uh, for candour uh, because we need to make it enforceable. So when um, a, a public authority, the police, for example, or a social housing um, um, owner or authority um, uh, don't disclose properly, don't own up to failures, um, then the victims of wh whatever disaster or, or whatever it is can access a court and you need a law to do that so yeah. that's what Hillsborough law uh, sets out um, to do it also empowers ordinary decent police officers local authority workers uh, people who work in these sectors to stand up to those managers in those organizations that might be asking them to shred documents or to not um, come out uh, with candor and it goes on also to provide uh, new provisions so that um, where there are inquiries and inquests in particular, uh, the victims should be on a level playing field in terms of representation. One of the continu continuing themes um, with disasters of all uh, uh, natures is that the victims don't, don't get properly represented. That was the story of Hillsborough uh, originally. Uh, today, uh, I've heard the, the Shoreham disaster, the, the victims have been refused legal aid. Elkin represents... Uh, the victims of the terrible Birmingham pub bombings and uh, virtually no funding for them. I represent 50 of the Grenfell victims uh, as we speak today, six months down the line. None of them have had a penny of, uh, of money for representat representatives. All the authorities involved all have their legal teams in place. And it's almost limitless for them. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that is, Steve, you know, to... The British reports come out this week, and within there it tells the story of the the families of the 96 people who died at Hillsborough. And within there, he's reflecting on your lived experiences. Your brother Michael passed away. And one of the things that comes through and over and over again, going the, the whole history of, of, of the story around this, is resources, is the idea of the time that you can spend, but also the money, what you've got in comparison to the people who aren't acting with the duty of candour, aren't acting in that way. Resources is so important amongst this, isn't it? That's right. Um, I, was, I was only um, speaking on BBC uh, Wednesday morning and uh, Teddy Delaney, a member of the Grenfell Fam Families and Committee, uh, was also speaking. And what struck me about um, his, his conversation on the morning was the fact that the amount of people down at Grenfell don't exactly know where to go, what to do, yeah. what's the law. They're hearing all different wordings of law. And, and we're just ordinary people. We don't know this. We're not professionals. Mm. So we, we need advice brought to us. And uh, as Hillsborough families, we had to fight our way through and, 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 and claw in some people who knew the law for us. And so we grew over, over many months and years. Uh, and I, I feel that now with Grenfell when I speak to people who yeah. are, are, are on these action committees they don't know the law and what's more important with them is they're being dispersed mm -hmm. you know they can't mobilise they haven't got a social hub to go to they've got nowhere to begin their campaign and um, there's so many issues around um, the Grenfell families that uh, y you know is 
it's similar to Hillsborough, um, but their th- their fight may be even more difficult to to, to go be- because they've been dispersed. Steve, do you think there's something? That is just overlooked. Before we even discuss whether or not it's done maliciously, but something that's just overlooked by by public institutions, public bodies around what you say in terms of people being able to access the information, be aware of what can or can't be achieved. That when these terrible, absolute disasters happen to people, it's the lowest ebb they can be at. Yeah. But then, as I say, before you even discuss whether or not malice is involved, you can have a situation where you come up against that th- those organisations and those bodies, and they're organised because that's part of what they're meant to be. Whereas you're just normal people, and that's what's so, going to happen with Grenfell. Well, and exactly right. We, we again, we can only hazard guesses at times, and we we can say, you know, can we have, find this piece of information out? And we we ask each other, and we don't know where to go. And it's only when we, we, we get good people like this, the, the legal team as we've had over the years who, who mobilise for us and, and in some ways educate us. And then once you, you're educated yourself, you can learn through your campaign groups how to challenge, how to bash these doors down, because that's what you've got to do. You've got to bash these doors down. You can't knock. And it's, it's, it's education over an awful long period of time, but that's a painful process to go through to, to get to your uh, particular goal. Elkin, the language that that, that that Steve uses is bashing doors down. And I think part of what you're looking for from this law, uh, from the change in legislation that you're pushing for, is the idea that maybe doors shouldn't have to be bashed down in quite the same way, that it shouldn't have to be this constant role and battle that people end up sort of getting themselves embroiled in. That's one of the things that you want to bring about with the change in legislation. Yeah, a lot of it is about empowerment. So it's empowering the bereaved families. And, and just listening to Steve, one of the things that occurs to me is the first hearing of the Grenfell Inquiry. I, I've no idea where it was, but it was some grand hall somewhere. And the people who went to that would have probably had to pay five quid for a cup of coffee next door. Just little yeah. things like that. They've got to work out how to pay to the tra- for transport together. They've got to take a day off work if they're in work. There's none of that for any of the other organisations involved. Everything seemed to for them. So you're empowering bereaved families on the one hand, and that's the parity of funding part of the bill, but we're also empowering disadvantaged employees in big public organisations with the other part of the bill because by criminalising cover-ups, we're allowing them to say to their bosses, I can't lie for you because I'll go to prison. Mm. So in a way, both sides of the law are about, are about empowering the disempowered. Sarah, the Bishop's report's come through this week and it reflects on the, those lived experiences of the families, part of which you went through when you were you know, representing um, and working on, on the, the inquest, uh, the second inquest. In there, the recommendation is there, it's, it's in the report quite clearly that the Hillsborough law come in as part of legislation. That is in there. It's, it's interesting that it's stated as part of the solution, but that it has to be part of the solution because, because of what Pete said earlier on, that there has to be the idea that... that that you are compelled to act in a certain way. That's therefore, no one can hide. An organisation can't have its own rules. There has to be set rules. I think the problem is uh, there's, there's, and it's it's quoted throughout the report is this concept of institutional defensiveness, and it's a natural reaction to something like this that they close ranks, and the reputation of the organisation is often put before the needs of the bereaved families. And the reality is that in an inqu- in inquest proceedings, the bereaved family should be at the centre. It, you know, there's no getting around that. So I think that from from our point, and um, the way I see it as a member of the public, aside from being a lawyer, is that morally, you you let you sort to tell the truth. Um, 
but to have to have legislation which actually requires that it's a sad state of affairs to be honest but it's it's unfortunately very necessary from this point, the conversation continued for another 20 minutes about the Hillsborough law, about its current present day applications, about how it can help everybody and how anyone can find themselves in this sort of situation and need the help and the candour uh, to be enshrined in legislation. Uh, I want to thank, uh, very much thank uh, Steve, um, Elkin, uh, Sarah and Pete for coming in and taking the time and talking to us through all of that. And if you've been listening to that and you've been thinking, well, what can we do? What can I do? If you want to get involved in the campaign, go to the Hillsboroughlaw at gmail.com. Uh, you can email there, the Hillsboroughlaw at gmail.com. There's a pinned tweet at the top of their Twitter. It's Hillsboroughlaw, all one word. Give them a follow. But from there, it helps you get work out how to get involved. You can email your MP. There is a template letter on the website, thehillsboroughlaw.com. And it's writetothem.com for your MP. And just to be crystal clear on this, this is also a podcasted show. Uh, anywhere you're listening to in the United Kingdom, you can and should, if you would like like to uh, contact your MP to make clear to them why you think this should be enshrined in legislation. Uh, but please do get involved. Please do, li- please do listen to the whole conversation. Uh, hopefully it'll give you ideas as to how to help in any sort of campaign and also understand why this is important right now in the United Kingdom. Uh, this is the Anfield Wrap. So thank you very much again there to Steve, Elkin, Sarah and Pete. Uh, after seven o'clock, we're going to have a conversation about, about West Ham United and about Emre Chan and his contract situation. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Paul's just telling us about his ailments there off air on the break. Um, let's uh, Before we get stuck into Emery Chan or into Liverpool, uh, Liverpool's trip to West Ham United, I want to talk first and foremost, just to mention, uh, we will be in Belfast for the West Ham game and we're doing a show afterwards. Um, do come down firstly to, the game will be on, so if you've got a ticket for the event, come watch the game with us uh, and we're going to start doing the post-match show straight away afterwards in Belfast. So come, come down, have a great time, should be fantastic. Uh, and also, if you haven't got a ticket but you are listening from Belfast remember that you can pay on the door so if you do want to come and watch the match with us you're more than welcome to come down and pay on the door you're looking forward to it uh, I am looking forward to it yeah I am I, I, I'm conscious that I've got to write a whole new quiz for these people uh, because the one that we've done in years gone by now we've done we've, we've done it in Belfast haven't we John so it's like the quiz yeah we've, we've, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to it's exhausted uh, we need a new one uh, it's like when 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 the comedian goes on a tour and you think it's stand up I just made it up on the night no yeah exactly uh, though we will actually write the quiz tomorrow afternoon knowing me and John we'll do it while we sound check <laughs> we'll work that one out uh, also I want to give a mention to the fact that our post-match shows I know some people don't want to subscribe to the AnfieldRap.com because they're worried they'll be overwhelmed by the content uh, and other reasons as well um, I, I disagree with you I think you're making wrong choices but uh, if you want to uh, if you want to listen to what we do post-match uh, we have a Bandcamp page now so if you t- if you if you search the website Bandcamp uh, you can find on there the Anfield Raps page and within there you can uh, you can listen to our post-match shows and there's other content that gets put on there as well uh, for instance the uh, chat I had with Joey Barton last weekend is on there to be listened to the odd free uh, show will be going up early as well and the odd free show will be going up early on there as well so we want to sort of let you know what it is that we do give you the flavour of it uh, without putting it out for free so all of that's available on there as well uh, but overnight uh, the news came in Paul that that Emery Chan isn't isn't looking to sign a new deal with Liverpool that it looks now highly unlikely that he will do so the talk is that the, the, the there's meant to be a release clause issue I I just sort of find the whole thing a little bit strange, to be honest. Yeah, well, the release clause in June is, is zero. I don't get it. I think it's pathetic from the club. And don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not particularly well informed on how these conversations are going. But apparently, it's, you know, he, he's willing to sign a contract if there's if there's a release clause. So, I, I don't I don't understand it. It seems like you're strengthening your hand next summer by spending all this money on, 
Naby Keita, but then also weakening it by letting one of your best assets go for nothing. Yeah, I th- I think it's a little bit more complicated than that. I think they've, they've got themselves into a position where they've d- decided they don't give release clauses. And that if they were here, they'd argue that, well, if we had given release clauses, then Phil Coutinho wouldn't be currently playing for Liverpool. And so they've got themselves into... They probably think that it, the pros outweigh the cons, and the, so they, we say, John, we, we say we've got a club policy. We don't yeah. do this for anybody. Yeah. Nobody gets this. Yeah, so that's what they're saying, and and there's, and if there's a little bit of talk of wage structure as well, which I don't think necessarily means that he wants to wants to be the highest paid player in the, at the club. I'd be really surprised. I think they've just got an idea of. So I think there's a little bit of issue over wage as well. But I'm, I'm with Paul. It seems that the majority think it is really close. I think they think if they give Emery. Charm one, then the, there's the seven, eight, and eight agents knocking on the door tomorrow morning wanting to renegotiate contracts. So I don't think it's quite as easy as where people are saying, well, why not give Mickles if if he wants a 40, if it's 40 million pounds, for example, then that's 40 million pounds we get next summer. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. And if it bought, I, what I would say is that I think at some point they, they might have to revisit this because if, if every other club in the world's given release clauses, then. You know, are we strong enough as a football club? Are we a strong enough pull to, to say we're, we're not going to do what Barcelona, Real Madrid, or the others do? It's, I think at some point they, they might have to revisit it. Uh, Paul, then Andy, Paul. I think the evolution of, of the Bosman transfer is changing now, though, as well. And I think this is maybe something to consider while, you know, I'm bashing the club. You know, <laughs> uh, the what I was speaking on on our European show on tour player about players that are coming available and stuff like that. And then. There's a there's a theory now where players have got into the head basically that you know Lionel Messi's out of contract uh, uh, at the end of the year that almost Barcelona need to rebuy him for his fee to him. Now if Liverpool are being bullied in in that sense by a sort of forward thinking snake of an agent maybe uh, that you know I I don't think they want to set that precedent and be put in such a difficult position. I think part of the problem is that they've got so far with it that. I think his agents is starting to look over and starting to say, well, you know what, nine months we could make some serious mm. cash. And, and that's kind of a, you know, that becomes more and more real the closer it gets, doesn't it, Paul, I mm. think. And I think that's, you know, 18 months ago, they might not be thinking about that. It might have been purely release close thing. But I think now they're thinking, do you know what, in January the 1st, and, and clubs are starting to sniff around, they're starting to have a look and, a, and they're talking about big signing on fees and things like that. And then suddenly you think, well, sort the release close. We've just fancied a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, no. Look, there's no doubt they've been caught on the rails with this, but it it is club policy after the Suarez thing where they. they That's another good example. Yeah. Uh, they they had the forty million clause, and then John Henry comes out and goes, "I don't care if it's there, mate. We're not we're not selling you." Um, and then they kind of forced the hand a little bit by there was a compromise made where he he agreed to stay for another year if he then got his move to Barcelona. Um. So uh, I'm on the side of the club with this. If they're, if they're saying no clause, no clause, and culturally it's different. You mentioned Spain and Barcelona and one thing and the other. Historically, they've always been there and it's been gauged on the value of the contract. And then there's the the whole legality because Barcelona tried to challenge the legality of PSG's move. I think the other thing you you got to look at, so Emery Chan's going, well, you know, I'll sign, but I want a release clause. No one's talking about what the release clause is. So if you're, if you're John Henry... And you're going, okay, well, look, even if we want to make an exception, and where I agree with John is if you give Emery Chan one, you've got to give everyone else one. So, but then you could turn that round and go, fine, we'll give you a release clause, but it's 150 million quid. So yeah, which, you know, which is not what he wants. Clearly, is it? so. You know? So what is the release clause? You don't you don't know whether his agent his agents acting soft and going, well, okay, well he'll sign, but he wants a release clause for I don't know 30 million or 40 think, million euros, and then. 
I think you use the phrase "caught on the hop," Andy, and I'll, I'll go back over to Paul on this in a minute. But I'm 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 less sanguine about it than than you three, and the reason why is because I just don't understand what the whole point of the enterprise is then. In that we buy Emery, well, the year we buy Emery, right? Neil, I agree with that. The, 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 year, the, year, the season we buy Emery, forget the release clause for a second. The fact that we don't get him pinned down. The season we buy Emery, Chan when he's twenty-one, um, Castro goes to Dortmund for eight million quid, and Sammy Kadir is on a free. Um, we, I'm, 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 I mean, it's 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 talking to say, well, we could have got either of them, but to some degree, you know, I think isn't the theory that we develop these lads and then they're either, and we yeah. watched Emre Chan grow as a player on our watch. That's happened, Andy, and I'll come to you now next, Andy. But he's what we watched him develop. We watched him become the footballer that he is now. And listen, we could have gone and got a finished article for the money plus the money we're paying him plus the, you know, we could have got Sammy Kadira possibly, but we don't do that. And I'm fine with us not doing that because that's the policy and that's the plan. I understand that. But if you've got your policy and your plan, don't not be good at it. Make sure you've either got the the, the football that's pretty close to the finished article or you've got the 30, 35 million asset that you can sell on. If you don't want the football, that's pretty close to the finished article. But what makes it even worse is we should have been fully aware of this given the nature of how we got him. We got him. Exactly, exactly. So we, we, he's on loan at Leverkusen. Uh, Bas, uh, Barcelona, sorry. Bayern Munich have got a buyback clause and it doesn't kick in before X amount. So we sneak in and get him before Bayern Munich can, can pull him back. So if you're already dealing with an agent who's negotiated that kind of deal... Where's the awareness around it? And look, the club could legitimately say, well, you know, things Sometimes things just go wrong. Things can go wrong. Two years we're doing things different now, blah, 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 blah. And if it was an isolated incident, not saying that we've had players leaving on a free, but it's just the latest in a catalogue of, what are you thinking? I, I think I think it's, you know, I said pathetic before, I still think it's pathetic now, actually. This is a lad that I've watched the evolution of, and Neil's absolutely right, you know, from being so frustrating and you're going, yeah, but... It's what he can become. Well, it's what he's going to come go and become on Juventus's watch now, isn't it? Or whoever it is who actually gets his signature. You know, we've had to put up with the the development of Emre Chan, where you you you're right, Sammy Kadira, for example, may not have been making the silly mistakes whatever Emre Chan makes or, or has made, and now you've got to a point with him where he's really good, really valuable asset. If he has a five year contract, you got you know, you know what? No one in this room, I presume, wants to see Emre Chan leave. But- you know, you say it's that, not the Paul. end of the world. I don't think it's not like Philip Coutinho leaving for nothing or Mane, Firmino, etc. But this is this is a lad where you've had to go through a bit of a bit of pain to get the game, which you now seeing him, and he's going to walk out the door for nothing. It just seems we're bringing Naby Keita in, who you think would be almost be a good a good partner with him in the midfield. It just seems completely counterintuitive, and Neil says about the game of the plan to to let this lad that you've got to this position go for zero. Yeah. I don't know whether we'll get compensation because of his age. Well, I do, look, you say that no. possibly, but I mean, you, you talk about finished article. I still think as a player, he's far from the finished article. I think he's on route when, though. When he's good, he's very, very good. But there's there's games there where you you still he's still a really frustrating player at times, and I don't think he's as good as what maybe he thinks he might be. To be behaving in that this way around the contract, John. I was just thinking Liverpool are looking, trying to look at the bigger picture than, than just kind of Emery Chan. And I think if if this is one they lose from their policy, but they feel like they, they gain enough from it, then I think they'll stick with it. And that's probably probably right. And I think I, I think it's something that they may have to change. But they'll, they'll be looking around at seeing uh, other clubs in in England really, and kind of kind of seeing seeing what seeing what they're doing. And it's not quite. You know the release course thing is isn't isn't quite as prominent in the Premier League as it is it is in other countries. I think it's law in Spain. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, what, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's, that's what, what they've got. Uh, there you go, Paul Senior. Eh? 
you law. Um, European show, mate. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. It's a good show, then, on tour player, isn't it? Five it's, pounds a month. It's very, it's very difficult to sit in, Matt, sit in a room with Matt Jones, Rebecca, and Mo if you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Seeing he's on a very steep learning curve. Yeah, yeah, very steep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Plenty of talent here. But I, I, I just think they'll be looking at it. And also, look, it's Emery Chan. I think he's a, he's a good player, but he's he's not in our top five. I wouldn't say. And so they might be thinking of it, thinking, well, you know, if it was if this was a Phil Coutinho situation, then it might be one to to rip up all your your rule book and start again. It's not. It's Emery Chan. After, after John, just to just to come back to you, and then we'll move on and talk about West Ham because I'm conscious that you know we've got a radio show to do, but. In a hypothetical situation, if you were a, a good twenty-two-year-old, a really good twenty-two-year-old footballer at the minute, yeah. looking at what's gone on this summer with reference to Sanchez, with reference to Van Dijk, with reference to even Mares um, and Coutinho, wouldn't you right now be saying to your agent, "I'd quite like there to be a release clause"? Wouldn't you right now be saying to your agent, "I'd quite like to know that if for whatever reason I wanted to move on, I could get a deal and, and be able to go"? Because what you're now seeing, and I, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the clubs are all going to stand firm, and you're right. But I think what you what you've seen last summer is because the money matters less and less because of the TV money. Clubs were able to basically stand there and say, "We're just not going to sell you." And now, if I was looking to sign a deal, I would just sort of want my. I want to make sure I was a bit not not ridiculously protected but a bit protected I know I think that I understand why players ask for them and I understand that it's you know the player power seems to have shifted a little bit a bit more but I think Liverpool must feel as a football club that they still hold enough cards for them to say well we're not going to do this or to delay it for as long as possible if they, if they, as they can and, and Liverpool will, will feel like that they can go well look do you want to play for Liverpool or not and I think they expected Emery Chan to Emmy Chan to buckle on this, by the way, and he hasn't. And so I think I think this is why it's, it's dragged on so long, and he wasn't sold last summer. He probably thought, do you know what? At some point they'll go, yeah, we we what he wants to be at Liverpool, and and it doesn't look like he will. So so the club have have, have got this wrong from a from a card playing point of view, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the whole kind of philosophy on this. Is so you think got, they might have got this one wrong tactically, but strategically they're right. Quite possibly, mm-hmm. yeah, for now. But they might have to change the strategy at some point. I, I don't know. But I think I don't think it's, it's worth ripping it all up for for a player who, let's be honest, half the copy drive to Juventus on their own anyway. Yeah, and I suppose I'm des- still desperate for a player to call someone out on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, su- I suppose the one thing we don't have to have is the conversation of what do we do now and who replaces them as well, because yeah. sort of you know from the negative of the of this summer is the positive of next summer where you know Naby Keita comes yeah. in and takes. Takes his position. And look, you're talking about uncertainty in the market as well, Neil. I mean, that's the same for football clubs. So a football club's thinking, well, I can give Emery Chan a, a, a release clause that you say is bordering on ridiculous, but next summer it's it's the new twenty million. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And so so they so football clubs are thinking, well, well, we could give him a release clause, but what is it? You know, Neymar's release clause was almost a joke, wasn't it? It's almost a joke. No one. But then affordable that. and and, and market, yeah. So yeah. I mean, I, I, you talk about the contracts and you, and you you talk about the money and there's plenty of talk about FFP and uh, amounts of. I've read that for every pound that you spend at Liverpool, 69p goes on wages. So let's just say, theoretically, they want a £40 million release clause, right? So you sign Emery Tan on this deal, you give him a signing on fee, which costs you X amount of million, and then 12 months wages, which costs you another, I don't know, say 10, 15 million. So when you're getting that £40 million at the end of the year when Bayern Munich buy him, he's basically cost, take, you've then got to take that figure back out that you've spent to keep him there for the year. Yeah. Which then brings it down to what? 10, 15 million? Where that could have been reinvested, that money you you, you spend them to secure them to le- to lose them at a discount, could but then be reinvested elsewhere. Okay, 
Uh, rudimentary, but I think solid uh, accounting there from Andy. I enjoyed that as it went. <laughs> I was trying to see the figures move around in my head. I think you're right, but I'm still, uh, I'd still quite like to have a minute on the footballer. Anyway, uh, moving up towards West Ham United. Um, they are in great shape, John. And, you know, we talk to Andy Middleton uh, quite often, and at the minute he's despairing. It, 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 there's a few, for, for a few people, I think. There might be a few West Ham supporters for whom this is a little bit uh, Hodgson, Hodgson against Bolton. There might be a few for whom they might be thinking there's worse games to lose. Um, but all of that said, you might have said something similar last season at Anfield. And last season at Anfield, they pulled themselves together and get a two-all draw. It's important, I think, Liverpool score first. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a crowd that's unhappy. It's a crowd that's unhappy about a lot of things, really. That They're not yet kind of you know happy in the home ground and things like that they're certainly not with the with the manager and so it's it's a situation where you you can you know if you can get on top then it, it can become a nice afternoon for you but then a bit of momentum you never know I, I've, I've watched a bit of West Ham this season not loads but the game I did watch was uh, the Tottenham game in the league and they get beaten that but but when they get I the tails well. up they had a real yeah. good go and you know they've, they've suddenly you know they, they went three 0 down didn't they Paul mm-hmm. and then and then got one back and then suddenly it's like it's Someone like get sent to, off or something yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the new right back got sent off Aurea, uh, yeah. that's the one yeah. and then um, and then and then they get a goal and then suddenly it's like Upton Park again isn't yeah, it yeah. and and there's big Kaz is throwing himself around <laughs> and you know Tottenham like oh, yeah. they're, they're happy they're to get on the, the ropes, final whistle absolutely. absolutely on the ropes and so and so you look at it thinking there is something there in these plays because you know they've got good footballers and and some difficult footballers as well so there's there's something there there, you just don't want them to remember. Neil, uh, Neil John says um, a word there, Upton Park, and the thing to consider is half five Saturday night at Upton Park, I would have been absolutely <laughs> petrified of, and I mean, I mean every single word of this. I went, I, went off, I went to that ground last year and I I'm not scared of West Ham away one bit anymore. It used to be, it used to absolutely scare the life out of me West Ham away of a night. And you know we see the FA Cup game where we get beaten and stuff like that. I'm sure it goes back longer than that. But uh, that that ground, I just don't think. I think that game maybe that don't John references against Tottenham. They probably would have got a point at Upton Park. It's just so lost. I think this big pitch suits the suits a good away side. I think. I think you're right. Maybe that if Liverpool score first, it may it may have some sort of impact on them in, in a negative sense, and Liverpool can maybe just find the feet. But there is a, a recent example that you know uh, with, with Tottenham that they do go behind and find a way to rally for the manager. So it's it's not a dead set. I just think we do them. I don't I don't know. It's a bit of a weird one. I think it's one if you get an early goal, you can really knock the stuff out of them. But I always worry about teams that can turn it on and turn it off. Um, in as much as the, for a West Ham fan, and I, I, I had to listen to what Andy Middleton had to say, and he was saying, you know, when the efforts there and all that, they look all right. And that, but that worries me. If that if I was a West Ham fan, that would be the thing that really wound me up the most. Oh, when, yeah, yeah. when they fancy it, because why why aren't they fancying it every week? Mm. What, what are you paying the money for? But at the same time, teams like that generally get generally perform or try and perform against the bigger sides if you let them. So I think it's one of them. If we can get an early goal, I can see Liverpool winning handsomely. But the longer it goes on, um, if we give them a sniff of it, the more I'd, I get a little bit nervous about it. To be honest, I think they've they've got they've got real problems on top of their problems as well, haven't they? In terms of injuries and suspension, yeah. I think I think Zabaleta has been a real kind of soul almost soul bright by kind of spark this season, hasn't he? I think he's played well. I think he's 
always look committed and you know he's even had a bit of a moan about kind of what's going on around him he's suspended for this game probably because he's the only one who tackles and so yeah. and so that that's kind of a real <laughs> a real blow for them as well I know it looks like they'll get Creswell back but Antonio's injured and there's a few a few more as because Fonte's out although he's been rubbish but Tomkins is out as well I isn't think he it's, I imagine you know, there's, 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 he's at Palace now yeah. Yeah. he's definitely out there <laughs> uh, there's, there's four or five who, 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 who aren't available who you'd, who, you'd, who you'd want in a game like this especially and so I think I think you know you, you, you don't want to tempt fate but everything's everything's pointing to a Liverpool win what would you do then John uh, what sort of side would you be looking to select um, would you be doing uh, I, mean, I mean maybe it's, it's strange from the maybe more from the Huddersfield game if we for instance do you think he will start storage yep yeah, yeah, I think that's why he wrestling against Bayern to start him in this game. I think he goes for me. Plays well there last year as well. Yeah, he, he does correct, and I think he goes for me. You know, and Salah either side of him. Um, Daniel Henderson, um, Shan, and who are you going alongside? Probably Milner again. Probably, probably ask Milner to go again. And those um, are then no Oxley Chamber. I probably not. No, I think I probably I probably maybe look to, to use him to use him off the bench in this one, just because I think I just think there's other better options. It's not yeah. really necessarily slights on him or better options for this game. You doing the same thing, Andy? With the it was James tech? Collins. James Collins, yeah, James Collins. He was doing me heads in. the best man in the world are playing. That that fella, that fella, yeah. No, I go with that. Um, weird one with West Ham as well. Just on, I know, I know, we're going to wrap it up. The whole goalie situation there is weird because Adrian is clearly a better goalkeeper than Joe Hart on current form, mm. but because their owner made such a pig's ear of it over the summer on social media and one thing and the other. There's no, there's no comeback from that. And I also think Randolph isn't that crazy either. I know he looks, he's got a decent show reel on that, but I think the pair of them aren't much cop. So expect to see a soft one. Saying that, they'll have a worldie now. They will have a worldie now. That just said that's got a worldie in him. No. Um, what are you do? We all, we all go mezzing. Uh, yeah. I Everyone's go mezzing. Are we all Morenoing? I presume. Yeah. I'll be surprised. Back in the world. Back in the Spain squad. Yeah. Back in the Spain squad. You're absolutely. That's Spain squad's bananas, by the way. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah. Luis Alberto, Suso, and Aspas. Yeah. Absolutely wild. You know what I love about that Spain squad? They've got a keeper called Kepa. K E P A. The third choice. Well, it might be second choice. I don't know. That's Real Madrid, is he? Why is he having a striker called Golio? That's like I did in the old like Amiga games, wasn't it? Playing footy, yeah, yeah. yeah. The messy side reds. <laughs> it is. That Spanish side is mad. It almost feels like a separate show, to be honest with you. Uh, let's, do, let's, let's do an hour on that space. Maybe the European show we've probably seen it. Yeah, yeah, could well be. Keith uh, Greedsley. <laughs> It's. I'm trying to pull the show together in a sensible way. Um, <laughs> Clavin or Lovren is 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 the remaining one I've, I've sort of whittled you down towards Clavin or Lovren, John. Which way are you expecting them to go? Clavin, I think I don't think he's done anything wrong, and I think look, if it's there's an international break for us all to have another little think about mm. all this, but I think one one game to go before the break. Um, just 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 for Clavin, and again, um, I think I think he's been fine. I think you know just just keep going, and then you and then you have a you have a big love and think next week. All agree? Clavin and Lovren for me. Oh, you're, you're too moody towards Matip. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I, Do notice, ladies and gentlemen, he's joking there, Paul. Yeah, I know, no, he's deadly serious. I can see him. Uh, you know what? Either, either or, like, I'd personally go with Lovren if he was on it. A player of the month and all that. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably go with Lovren if he's fully fit and he's ready to go, but that's one for the manager. And it, we probably don't know. I like that we have to say Matip has scored in London. Uh, I like that that's the one for the manager. Like yeah, the rest yeah, of them. yeah. The rest of them are down to us. Well, you, know. <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to this show and sort it out. Uh, yeah, just, 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 you know what I meant. It's 
Is Carol fit? Is he available? I think, I think he's available. Yes. He, he was suspended, wasn't he? Was that two? Hours? No, he's back. He's back in now. He's available. Mm. Um, but how fit he is uh, is always up. You always wonder about that discussion. He, he, he's the he's he's the concern, I suppose. Um, and that might be a, an argument for Lovren because I think Lovren does well against. That's that sort of lad. Uh, all right. Um, Liverpool then go into West Ham United where Matip has scored. The city of London. It appears to be how this works now. Uh, that's how we've got to count our centre-halves goals. In fact, Lovren's also scored in London uh, in the same game as Matip. Our centre-halves don't score headers. Um, on the whole, it's not for them. Uh, but Liverpool are going to West Ham United this weekend to the London Stadium where hopefully hopefully they put the sins of the international break behind them. Uh, thank you very much to everyone who's contributed to this show. But very quickly, before we go away, I'm having a prediction from each of you. Uh, Paul John, Andy, in that order, Paul? 3-1 uh, Liverpool. John? 3-0. Andy? 2-1 uh, 2-1 to, to the Reds. Uh, it's been a fantastic week. Thank you very much for listening. This is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Think about the Hillsborough Law stuff discussed earlier on. Have a lovely weekend. See you in a bit. Sports Social Podcast Network.